Welcome, everyone, to episode 34 of Some Like It, Scott, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and with me today, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, in just a little bit, we'll be talking about the Haley Lou Richardson and Cole Sprouse-led rom-drom, Five Feet Apart. But before we get to that, how have you been doing? How was your spring break? Probably not as eventful as a lot of people's spring break. I wasn't in Cancun or even in Charleston like I was last year. I was just went, went back home to Chattanooga for a little bit. And now I'm back here in Winston-Salem. Just been watching a lot of, of March Madness, as you probably would expect. So in that regard, I guess you could say it was uh, it was a very good spring break, especially because, it, we you know, we got to close the loop on this. You know I was going to bring it up. Uh, Tennessee and Kentucky. We got that round three yesterday. And in what many are saying, many to quote the president, many people are saying that it was the best college basketball game of the year. And Tennessee came out on top. Oh, I, I mean, I don't have too many thoughts. I only watched like the last few minutes of the game. Which made me feel like I was the reason that they that Kentucky yeah, lost. <laughs> yeah, because it, it was quite a comeback from Tennessee there. But yeah, it's hard. To, I, I I don't want to troll you too much because you're not at all an obnoxious Kentucky fan. Like I know there are many out there, but uh, and there are many obnoxious Tennessee fans. Honestly, I'm probably one of them. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't want to troll you too much about it because you uh, you're a good sport usually. Uh, you know, I tu- I turned it on. We were up by seven, and I when I mean, and then the game. Completely turned on its head. You guys scored six, was it six straight possessions, 15 points, which it was a, it was a really strong performance down the stretch. We had three big threes down the end. It, I mean, it was a shock. It was shocking. Like, cause I, I thought we were done too. And honestly, I, you know, I put up a post or something afterwards about us winning and somebody sent me a message and was like, wait a minute, y'all won. Like I left my house when there were three minutes left in the game or whatever. I thought it was over. And I was like, yeah, you know, I can't believe it either, but they're going for the championship today against, uh, Auburn for, would would be their first SEC tournament championship since 1979, which is kind of crazy to think about. But forty cool. years, forty long years, and then before yesterday, Kentucky had won like 15 straight SEC tournament games. So yeah, they I mean they have 31 SEC tournament titles, which I think they said yesterday that like the only others like the the next closest school has like five. Well, Scott, I mean best game of. Of the season college basketball, I'm, I'm definitely not the right judge for that, but it sounds like it was a good game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, my dad, to, to, to put it in perspective, and, and then we'll talk about the movie, but my dad, who will be 60 years old next week and, and said it was the, and, you know, has been a Tennessee fan his entire life, said it was the best basketball, best Tennessee basketball game he'd ever seen. He'd ever seen. So there you go. Those threes were daggers at the end. They really were. And and by a guy, too, in Lamonte Turner, who was 0 for 14 on his three-pointers against Kentucky um, for the entire season, across three games. And then that ball comes to him there, 30 seconds left, top of the key. And I'm sure every single Tennessee fan was screaming, no, and he shoots it and buries it. So what do you know? Like, these, this game makes no sense. That's for sure. It's March, though. So what, what, what do you expect? This is March, baby. All right, Scott. Well, we'll give the the listeners the content that they actually came for today. 
<laughs> Although, you know, we probably have a fair number of people who uh, have some investment in the NCAA. Uh, they, had to know, they had to know they were going to get this after that game. That's true. Maybe they'll all look at the time codes and fast forward to the movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, Scott. Well, in our second foray into the new podcast format today, we'll be discussing Justin Baldoni's directorial debut, Five Feet Apart. Known previously for his acting role, such as his main role in Jane the Virgin, and which I think he still has that main role for its final season coming up soon. Uh, but Baldoni crafts a rom-drama about two teenagers with cystic fibrosis, Stella and Will, played by Haley Lou Richardson and Cole Sprouse, respectively, who meet each other on their CF treatment ward. Frustrated by Will's seemingly apathetic approach to his experimental treatment, Stella makes a deal with Will to force him to adhere better to his treatment. But before they know it, their deal becomes something more. And as their shared disease looms large in the space between them, the two struggle to navigate their feelings and their disease. Scott, I have to say that there were scenes and moments in this film that that did really strike a chord with me, particularly some of those uh, that related to the disease cystic fibrosis. But in other moments, I found this movie striking in a different, well, and we'll say a significant, significantly less good way. Uh, did this movie manage to tug at your heartstrings or did it affect you in, in a different way? Yeah, so this was an interesting one because, you know, I, you know as well as anyone that I was not particularly excited in seeing this. I, you know, the trailers have been playing for a couple of months now, and I thought, you know, the love story looks pretty cheesy and, and looks pretty bad. But, I mean, you know, you kind of have to expect that from this type of movie, to be honest. It, it's, you know, th- this movie is clearly a, a tearjerker, right? Like, it has that intent in mind, and it's just hard to do that without being very emotionally manipulative, um, so that's kind of to be expected. But I think the thing which I was more interested in, more potentially troubled by uh, to see what this movie was, how it was going to portray cystic fibrosis, because, you know, to not 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 going to get into it too much. But, Scott, we have a friend who has CF and a, a good friend. And so while, you know, that doesn't mean we understand what it's like to live with the disease, but it does mean that we are invested in making sure that it is, you know, portrayed in the right way, because there really is, there really has never been TV, movie, anything that really portrays people with this disease. Like it, the, there's a, a, an extreme lack of awareness in terms of when, when it comes to cystic fibrosis and what this d- disease entails, and you know how how uh, you know how how we can how we uh, you know as people without CF can like work to try and find a cure for it. And so I was I was a little bit troubled by. You know, just just from the trailers about, you know, is this movie really going to be authentic to the, you know, plight of people who have CF or is it just kind of using this as a trope to, you know, again, to be a tearjerker? And, you know, I'm happy to say that I think the parts of this movie that are about living with CF are extremely well done. Um, I think that this movie, you know, puts aside all of the the fears that I had um, and is very authentic, you know, again, at least from what I know, and is very authentic about what it is, what it's like to live with CF, sort of the hopelessness of that sometimes, right? Because people who have CF die, usually die pretty young. uh, And, you know, as this movie portrays pretty well, I think a lot of what it's like to live with the disease is kind of just sitting around hoping that someone will find a cure. And I think the movie, you know, Again, I think it portrays that really well, and I think there are some really touching and evocative moments that have to do with these two characters and and some of the other characters on the the ward as well. There's there are th- at least three characters in the movie who um, you know have CF, and I think that 
uh, all of them are given the time and attention that they deserve. And the disease is given the time and attention that it deserves. It's not relegated to, again, to like a, a cheesy trope. And so I think that the movie, yeah, you know, as you're saying, strikes a chord in some scenes. I think it's those scenes. But then I think, you know, we do have the other part of the movie, and that is the love story. And, you know, I think it's pretty, gave me pretty much what I expected, right? Like, it's pretty melodramatic. It's pretty cheesy. There are a lot of just these really, like, hackneyed musical montages where, you know, instead of showing you how to feel, like, or, you know, instead of letting a, a natural rea- emotional reaction, you know, result from the material, they are, like, beating you over the head, telling you, hey, it's time for you to start crying now. And, like, I, you know, I'll cry in movies, like, Every year I do. But if a movie is doing that kind of shameless, like beating you over the head again with with manipulate with an emotionally manipulating you like that doesn't do it for me. And it, it will do it for some people. I mean, there were there was at least one person in my theater who was just sobbing at certain parts of this movie. But it didn't work for me because they, they had just telegraphed it, you know, so blatantly about, you know, what their intent was. And that was, you know, to get you to ball. But I think that this is a movie that people should see because of the way that it portrays the disease and the way that it raises awareness for CF, which, again, is something that really needs to have awareness raised for it because, you know, there are people out there fighting every day to try and find a cure. And there are, you know, thousands of people who are living with this, just like we see with these characters in the movie. And so I think in that regard, I think the movie, but by having this, you know, cheesy love story between two, you know, it must be said, very good looking actors, teen actors. It's going to draw people to the theater to learn these important things about the disease. And so I appreciate the movie, even if I don't think it it is a great piece of work in the end. And I do think people should go and see it. Yeah, I think I think that's a really good way to to kind of wrap it into into one full package, right? Like you talked about the two different parts of the of the movie. And, and I saw in your letterbox review, even you said that this movie is almost two separate movies entirely and then yeah. interwoven together. And I, and I think that really does feel right because the most optimistic way to describe this movie, I think is to say that it is a story about CF wrapped in a, in a romantic drama package that will actually get you to go see the movie, even if what it's wrapped in is the worst part of it. And yeah. I, I think that that it's unfortunate because you know, in some cases, I think some people will be really frustrated by that. And I, I mean, I, and I'm included in that. I think that was, I was really frustrated with the way this movie ultimately shook out because there was a really powerful story at its core. And, and that's not it's not to say that this like story about this about this potential relationship isn't powerful, though. I, I don't necessarily think that it is. But the story about CF is one that's really powerful. And I and I think that when you have an actress of the quality of Haley Lee Richardson. And, and, you know, I, I'm going to, I think the, um, the jury's still out on whether Cole Sprouse is a good actor. Uh, I think this probably doesn't, it doesn't hurt or harm him or sorry. It doesn't hurt or help him probably in, in my, yeah. in my book. So we'll, we'll wait to see for another movie. But I, I do think that an, an actress of the quality of Haley Richardson, it's, it was tough for me to watch her. I think really nail some of the difficult aspects of living with CF as you describe, and then also have to like double as an actress in this like rom drum that is really baity. <laughs> I don't know. It's like a better way. Yeah. I don't watch that many romantic comedies or romantic. Well, I watch a, a, a few romantic comedies, but I don't watch that many romantic dramas. So like, I haven't even seen like fault in our stars or anything like that. 
But if if this consider yourself lucky. <laughs> well, I I mean, I if it's anything close to this, I do consider myself lucky because Scott, I, I can't ultimately say that I really enjoyed watching this movie, and I don't, uh-huh. and I I still would recommend it because the the parts that you quote unquote would enjoy, I think, are parts that just make you uncomfortable and that are like difficult to watch, and that's because you're learning about a disease, a chronic illness that is something that's I think really difficult to watch because it's so sad in some ways to to mm-hmm. see what this chronic illness does to people and what it subjects them to in terms of whether it's the hopelessness, whether it's, you know, the treatment that they have to go through just to try to get back to a point where their lives are, are able to be lived quote unquote normally. And I think that th- those can be really difficult scenes to watch and so uh, aren't, ne- aren't necessarily fun to watch. That being said, I think they're still really important to watch. It's not always an easy topic, I think, to broach of your own initiative, mm-hmm. I think, in, in conversations. And so to have this lens into what it's like to be in the hospital. I, again, I don't know how actually authentic that is, but if it's somewhat close to that, or, you know, maybe it's even worse than that, I don't know. I'm, I feel like I did manage to walk out of the theater with something from this movie, even if it wasn't the the romantic drama part of it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with a lot of your criticisms. I think just my overall reaction is, you know, maybe a little bit more positive just because even if I didn't buy into the love story, the movie did at least have me rooting for it. Like, you know, for, for the entire time, like it's, it's a, it's too long for a movie of this type, but I wasn't really checking my watch like very much because like I was, I was rooting for the movie. I was rooting for the characters, right? Even if, uh, you know, I didn't really buy into the love story. I think that because of the way the movie portrays, you know, CF in, in a very sensitive way, I wanted the movie to succeed. And, you know, I, I went into the movie pretty cynical. So I think that the fact that the movie, you know, at least won me over in that regard, at least it had me caring about something that happened, which is better than a movie that, that is bad and also you don't care about. Um, I think it probably gets a, a few points for that in my book. No, I think that's fair. And it's not that I, I mean, I also was reading for these two. I just it, it's hard for me to look back on my experience watching this movie and be like, Wow. I mean, there were just moments that that were supposed to be serious where I was laughing out loud. And it's like, that's bad. Mm -hmm. That's like really bad. Yeah, there were. I mean, I definitely had at least one moment where I laughed and and maybe one or two others where I I was suppressing him a little bit. But I agree with you there like that. You you don't want that, especially from, you know, a a Nicholas Sparksy movie of this type. Yeah. And and just to close the loop before we dive a little deeper on some certain on certain topics, I agree. This movie was so long. I, you know, Scott, I, I you yeah. are normally the one that complains about this, not me, but I checked my watch about an hour, five hour, 10 minutes into this movie. And I was like, holy crap, how is there still an hour of this movie? Left? Yeah. It feels like I've been in here for a couple hours already. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe I'm just desensitized to it because I think every movie is so long uh, and I've just kind of come to terms with the fact that movies are going to be longer than I want and longer than I expect. But yeah, definitely could have shaved off a solid 10 minutes. Oh, man, I'd hope they could shave off more than that. <laughs> All right, Scott, why don't we dive in a little bit deeper on some things and maybe start with the with the brightest spot, and that is Haley Lou Richardson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's an absolute star, and I hope that this movie will, even if it's not the best thing in her filmography by a long shot, I hope it will win her some new fans because she's been doing great work, but in probably things that people haven't seen as much. Like, so she was in Split, obviously, but she wasn't a major role in that. So probably not like the standout element of that movie. Yeah, but, and spoiler, so, she gets her intestines eaten out in that movie. So really yes. not her standout and her 
filmography. That is very true. But also movies like Columbus and Support the Girls and even Edge of 17, which, you know, probably a, a few more people saw, but is still probably a, a more independently minded movie. She's been outstanding in all of these movies. Um, Particularly the first two that I mentioned, Columbus and Support the Girls, and were movies that she kind of had the second lead role in, I guess you would say. Columbus, she starred really alongside John Cho, and then Support the Girls, she was, you know, kind of the main waitress at is it Shenanigans, I believe is the name of the, the restaurant. But and she really just lights up the screen. And I think that in a in any movie that is centered around a romance, it takes two to tango, right? Like you have to care about both characters. And I'm sorry to say, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, like it took a long time for me to get on board with the Cole Sprouse character. But even when I wasn't on board with this character, like Haley Lou Richardson is so great and so charismatic that she almost like makes the romance work on her own because you're like, yeah, like, of course he loves her. Like, who wouldn't love her? Like, she's great. So I like I think she deserves a ton of credit for that because she is, as you said, the best thing about this movie. And she's going to go on to do bigger and better things. Uh, from this movie. And so even though, you know, maybe 10 or 15 years down the the road, she may want to sign up for IMDb Pro and delete this from her IMDb page. I think ultimately it's going to be a good thing for her career because people are going to, you know, she's going to be a name that people recognize now. And she's absolutely a name that deserves to be recognized because she's fantastic. I think it's double whammies for Sport the Girls, not not shenanigans. Double whammy. I, shenanigans is that dumb diner movie with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Yeah. I, no, I can't confirm or deny that, but I'm pretty sure it's double, <laughs> double whammies and support the girls. Yeah. 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 No, Haley Richardson is, is the best part about this movie. I think that I don't know what she kind of went through in terms of preparation for this role and, and preparation for this, but it's so, I think she plays the part so well in a way that is like, okay, when she turns the video camera on and does these, videos that have i will say have a lot of views surprisingly large number of views a lot more videos. views than kayla's videos in eighth grade for yeah, sure. yeah seriously uh but she you know her, her character stella you know go, is going through this tune-up for for cf and you know she makes these videos to record her her treatments or parts of her treatment and i think she does such an amazing job portraying how people can often be so optimistic and easygoing and lighthearted about these very serious topics on camera. And then when the camera flips off, things get a lot more serious. Now that's not to say she's like all doom and gloom off, off the camera. Cause, she, Cause she's not, that's not, that's not her character, but there's a noticeable difference. And as an early part of the movie, cause one of the first scenes is her doing one of these videos. It gave a, a flavor of authenticity almost immediately to this performance that I really, really liked. Cause, cause you're right. Like I, I didn't get that same feeling from Will's character. And I think that's just because it's like less well-written. I don't know if that's yes. necessarily Cole Sprouse's fault, but what I mean, regardless of what you think of how the role is written for Haley Lee Richardson, she makes the most of it in my mind. I think that her chemistry with Poe, with Will, with even, is it Barb? I think yeah, all of those nurse, yeah. just feel really authentic and really strong. And there, of course, there are hiccups throughout her, throughout her role, throughout her narrative that I maybe don't always resonate with me, but I always felt like Haley Richardson was, was doing the most in a good way, right? Not, not in a negative way. And so it, she really carried, carried me and got me through some of the parts of the movie that, to, that you described really well, these early parts where I wasn't necessarily invested in anything else. Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, an- another thing about her performance, which I think is the sign of a great actor is that there's an effortless quality to it, which I think really stands out in a movie of this type, because I think, 
because because of what I was talking about with how the movie is is sort of blatant in the way that it emotionally manipulates you. I think that, that you can't say that about Haley Lou Richardson's performance. Like she's not telling you this is how you need to feel. Like oh, she's not talking about how oh that this is so sad. But she just goes out there and gives you know gives a performance that makes you care about her from the beginning, so that when these things happen, you are sad and you don't have to have you know the movie telling you. Um, that you need to feel sad because she's made, you know, she's done the legwork. She's made you care about the character. And I think that's the sign of a really good actor. Yeah. And I know we haven't talked about this yet, but this is an example of a movie, Scott, that uses voiceover at the beginning. And I got to say, mm-hmm. not a bad use of voiceover. I wasn't that upset with this use of voiceover. Yeah, it did not stand out to me as being, you know, blatant or awful like the Aquaman voiceover or vice. And yeah, I mean, I think that I like the way that it bookends the movie, right? Because we, we, you know, we do get it again at the end. And I think, you know, it's not certainly not the first movie to do this, but I think it it does it pretty effectively. Yeah. And especially when, I mean, if you compare it to Aquaman, Aquaman is just like describing things that you're seeing on scene. Like at least, <laughs> yeah. at least you're getting some meaningful voiceover and that right. what is d- being shown on screen is not what you're hearing. It's a, it, it is truly a, a sort of like compliment to the images and the clips that you're seeing on screen, which are all historical and, and meant to be like memories of, of the past. And the, the, at least the voiceover wasn't saying, and this was me when I was five with my sister. And I just love <laughs> seeing the touch of my family. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was something better than that. All right. No reason not to just go ahead and, and you know, we, he came up briefly already, but talk about Cole Sprouse. I'm sure Haley Richardson will come, will come back up as the conversation continues, but Will Newman who plays, uh, a guy, a boy who comes on to the CF ward that Stella and Poe are already on. And he has a, a or has been exposed to a particular bacteria with CF that make that takes him off the lung transplant list. That's a very serious type. And so he's sort of looking for his, his cure. He's doing an experimental treatment on this ward that will potentially cure him because he no longer is eligible for this lung transplant that Haley Richardson character and Poe's character are eligible for. I, you know, I talked about The Fault in Our Stars and how I, I really genuinely do not like that movie, and I don't think it's a good movie. Um, I think that this movie blows it out of the water. But my main, one of my main issues with The Fault in Our Stars is the male lead, you know, played by Ansel Elgort in that movie. I think he's just not a likable character at all. And I was worried from the opening scenes of this movie, like the first time we, we were introduced to, to Cole Sprouse's character, I was like, oh, this movie's going to have the same problem, right? Because he's annoying at first like he's so like dark and brooding and emo which like okay it's cole sprouse you kind of he's kind of being typecast a little bit from his role on riverdale i guess but also he's like he's making all these really sardonic jokes and like being just really glib about the whole situation and you know just kind of being a douche to to Haley lou richardson's character for for lack of a better word and i was like so great so like why am i supposed to care about this character but then over the course of the movie, he does change and he does become a better and more likable person. You know, I think you could definitely have some issues with how quickly that change happens, you know, but at the same time, again, the Haley Lou Richardson character is so great and so likable that it's like, yeah, of course, she's going to change him in a way. So, I, I, you know, I think maybe it's not quite as bad, but I think that it, the, the change does happen rapidly, but I'm glad it happens because, you know, I, I at the beginning of the movie, I, w- I definitely was sitting there like, oh, great, here we go. Another Ansel Elgort situation, 
And I'm going to be expected to care about this romance when one of the people just isn't likable at all. But yeah, I think you're right that the jury's sort of still out with him as far as whether he's a good actor or not. I think he has some decent scenes in the movie, but I think this role doesn't really go beyond what what he's been, you know, what he has done on Riverdale and what he is asked to do on Riverdale, which I guess is his other major role as an adult you know, outside of The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. So, you know, I I think we are going to need more roles to see just really how much range he has. But like I said, by the end, I was on board with the character. And I think Cole Sprouse does what he can, you know, to to, to make the character likable and to make this not just a retread of Ansel Elgort's character um, from Fault in Our Stars. So I think he deserves some credit for that. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I I don't have that comparison to... Fault in Our Stars, because as I already mentioned, I haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. I will say that I think I would even go further than saying he was annoying and, and unlikable at the beginning to say that, like, I thought he that this character was written. And again, this isn't talking about Cole Sprouse's performance. I will get to that in a second. But I thought this character was written in such a way, unless unless there's like some commentary on like hero or savior complex going on here. Why on earth Haley Richardson's character would be attracted yeah. to this kid? Because he's he's like annoying. He's rude. And if if this is something that she cares so much about in terms of treatment i i just don't know how she like cares about uh, cares about this kid because he is wasteful of this opportunity to do a treatment i mean i mean it's it's even in the script right like she even says like you're wasting this opportunity and i i get how she wants him to do his treatment but i just feel like the the authentic way that relationship would develop would be like all right i hate you like you are wasting this opportunity and like this weird situation that comes up where they make this like deal that he's going to do his treatment in exchange for like drawing her. Cause he's, he's a real, he's an artist basically. Yeah. I, I just, I, I really didn't buy into that yeah. whatsoever. And so as th- and th- now that again, that's not about Cole Sprouse. And I do think that this character over time in the second, I should just say in the second act and you know, maybe even the third act of the movie, it takes that long for me does get better. And I, it was more likable. He definitely becomes likable by the end of the film. Certainly which is a good thing. But the way that this started just made no sense to me. And so it really affected the way that I kind of viewed this relationship develop. That being said, I think none of that, or at least most of that is not on Cole Sprouse. And I think, you know, when he's finally given a chance to, to be likable, he is likable. Like he manages to put in that performance in the last, you know, 30, 45 minutes, whatever it is where he becomes more likable. And a lot of that has to do with, his scenes with Haley Richardson, because you know, these scenes where you get uh, him alone in his room, usually without any, any lines from him, it, there's just not much he can do. Right. Like he needs, I, I think de- like Cole Sprouse is one of those people who, who just needs Haley Richardson in this movie to do something. And that's not entirely his fault, but when he is given that opportunity, he does something with it, which I mean, it has, has to be noted. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree though, that I think the, the whole like, arrangement that they make is a very contrived plot device and it's obvious like you know that oh he's the brooding artist right so he can't win her over with his personality but then he's going to win her over with his drawings like you know exactly where this is going like when when he when they make this deal in the first place yeah that's that's definitely a knock on the movie that they're kind of thrown together in a way that doesn't feel believable maybe because the way that the key, these characters are set up, they would never have a relationship unless they are thrown together in some unbelievable way. Yeah, and, and I mean, I'm, I'm not going to give the movie a pass for that. No, certainly not. I mean, just to close the loop, I think that 
Cole Sprouse. The jury's still out. You know, but I do hope that I see him in something, and I, and I hope that he is able to find a role for himself that will allow him, if he has it in him, which I think he might, uh, to to show that he can really lead a lead a you know lead a movie in, in a strong performance or be a really strong supporting uh, character. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, the sweet life of Zach and Cody is near and dear to my heart, so I, I certainly hope that Cole Sprouse doesn't turn out like many of the child stars. Uh, on these, you know, Disney and Nickelodeon shows and is actually able to have a successful acting career. I hope he's able to find a role for himself that, you know, will allow us to make a judgment on whether or not he could, he he should be getting bigger roles. Yeah. And, and while we're at it, let's see his brother in something, too. Like, I don't know what his brother's doing, but uh, I guess he's probably still trying to act. Yeah, he is. I mean, they both went to NYU, which is why they disappeared for a while. I yeah. think they were like class of 2017 or 2016 NYU or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, his brother's also acting. I, I mean, I think for Cole, the big thing was that he got, I mean, he got the part on Riverdale. Yeah. Right. Which got him a little bit more exposure. Cause, you know, when you take four or five years off, even if you are someone like, well, I mean, maybe even, especially if you're someone like, you know, the Sprouse twins, you are typecast. Like there are particular roles that people will always think of you as. And that four or five year gap probably helped them, right? Like allowed them to grow up and, mm-hmm. and like visibly grow up. And, you know, if you're someone who never watched The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody or The Sweet Life on Deck or, you know, any any of those shows, you know, you come to watch this movie, you probably wouldn't know who Cole Sprouse was. Yeah, that's a good point. Which is probably a good thing for the for the longevity of their career, at least. Definitely. Awesome. You know, we, we've we've mentioned offhand a couple other of the supporting cast in this movie, including Poe and Barb, who are played by Moises Arias and Kimberly Abert Gregory. And I don't know if you want to talk about either of these characters or uh, some of the other supporting cast, although most of the other ones are pretty minor compared to these two. Question, because I never actually looked this up. Was Claire Forlani the mom of uh, Cole Sprouse's character? I, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, okay. I was just wondering because it yeah, did Yeah, and Emily like Baldoni her. is uh, Haley Richardson's mom in the movie. Right, Okay. Uh, but yeah, so first of all, I just want to say uh, on the on the note of Disney Channel shows, it's really funny to see little Rico from Hannah Montana grown up, which is, of course, Moises Arias. And, you know, what's what's even funnier is that he's actually really good in this movie. And I really liked the direction that they took this character in, because I think when he's introduced, he's like, oh, here we go. He's the gay best friend character. Like, he's just going to be like the stereotypical, like oh, I'm only here to support you. My own like life doesn't matter at all. Like We've seen this character many times in movies. And they don't go that direction with it at all. Like His issues and his needs, because of course he has CF as well, are placed right alongside that of the, you know, the characters, the, the main characters in the movie. And, you know, we learn about his relationship with uh, this guy, Michael, and you know, we come to care about his character as much as we care about, you know, Haley Lou Richardson and Cole Sprouse's characters. And I think that that's a credit to the movie for a movie that, you know, often dives into stereotypes and dives into cliches. I think it it goes away from it in the way that it portrays this Poe character. And so I really like that. I, I mean, I think that the actress who plays the nurse does a good job as well. I mean, she adds some sort of comic relief in, in some certain moments, which is obviously very needed in a movie of this type. But I, I have to say, I, I wasn't crazy about the character, like the the char- the plot thread for her like that. Oh, she this has happened before and she she didn't stop it the first time. And like, so now she's in, I'm like, you don't need that. Like, right. Like she's a nurse. Like, of course, she's going to be invested in making sure her 
her patients don't die, right? Like we don't need this backstory about, oh, this exact same thing has happened before because it feels really like forced and unnecessary. Uh, and so I didn't like that, but that's not really to say anything about her performance, I guess. Yeah, agreed. I thought that to, to drop that offhanded in one conversation, I was like, wow, man, you <laughs> that's a bad thing to do in a movie. Yeah. You're not going to follow up on that. And they didn't. Mm-hmm. They didn't follow up on that. And and I also felt similarly, well, let, to a lesser degree, but I also didn't particularly like the, is it Abby, the Abby subplot either. I mean, there are elements that tie in more to the plot than obviously this story, but it just reminded me of that as well, because that felt half-baked in some ways also. Yeah, I think they do a little more with that. For sure. For sure. They definitely do more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there were actually, actually, to be to be honest, like there were some beats with the the Abby plot thread that actually kind of got to me. Like, I really liked when they put like the lung photo or whatever above, or the drawing that she had done, like above on on the ceiling, like mm-hmm. while she's having her surgery. Like that actually kind of got to me. So I guess this one, I, I'm I'm more positive on on that thread. I think they probably did enough with it. Yeah, I would have loved that that scene. I actually really like that scene. It's like, oh, that's I I I kind of figured that's what he was doing when he took it off her wall. And then mm-hmm. they managed, they decided that they would spend, I don't know, they probably spent like a million dollars animating that one se- sequence where with, like, yeah. she falls asleep. And I'm like, dude, you really didn't need to do this. <laughs> like, that was so <laughs> unnecessary. Um, That's fair. But to circle back around, I think, I agree. I think Poe's performance, Moises Arias or Arias uh, performance here is really strong. You know, would have been the best one if not for Hillary Richardson, of course. And then there are, of course, certain elements of the plot that we aren't talking about yet that really got me even more invested in this character. And, and by the end of the movie, I mean, this is probably the character that, that grabbed me the most and their arcs within the movie. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, again, it's just, it's surprising to see him after his, his child role, but he gives a really good and, and mature performance here. Yeah. Again, haven't seen his, his child roles, but for me, this, this was good. And, and I, re- there were some moments that he had with Haley Lee Richardson mm-hmm. and, you know, them fighting, being a little too honest with each other maybe and not being <laughs> as empathetic in certain moments that they needed to be that just felt like well th- this is exactly how i'd expect this to go when you juxtapose that to you know the relationship that she has with cole sprouse it felt it felt way more authentic in terms of how a, a friendship and a relationship would develop and so to your point it doesn't hit the tropes that you'd think that this kind of this this typecast of character this stereotype of a character would hit yeah for sure all right I don't know if we'll immediately jump into spoilers, but might as well go ahead and lay down the spoiler warning just in case we do broach them sooner rather than later. But Scott, the plot here, you and I have both already discussed that you know this movie doesn't really do it for us in many ways. But why don't we dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, I think just the main problem with the love story for me in terms of just talking about the plot is that every single time I thought, OK, this movie maybe is about to actually get me invested there was a scene that just takes me out of it. And I think one of the scenes is this pool scene, which, you know, we talked about off air as, as being definitely not one of the standouts in the movie. Um, oh, it stood out. Just yeah. In a bad it stood way. out for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Fair. Just very clunky and awkward and some, some really bad dialogue in this particular scene, you know, and, th- and this comes at a time when like, you know, again, I was feeling somewhat invested. Like I, I, the scene where he goes to her before she's about to have her surgery was kind of a nice scene. I was like, okay, like, you know, maybe you can get me on board here. And then it takes me out of it. Same thing at the end. Like I kind of enjoyed, and this is spoilers, but I enjoyed the way that they introduced the tension of, Oh, here we go. She's going to get new lungs. 
but they're out, you know, going to look at these lights or whatever. I was like, okay, this is actually some like genuine suspense that they're introducing here, which I kind of like. But then you have this whole like unnecessary thing with her falling into the through the ice or whatever. And it's so telegraphed, right? Like, you know, as you know, as soon as she steps out onto the frozen lake or whatever, it's like somebody's going to fall in the ice or whatever. And of course it does happen. And they even like play with it. it it's like they know how cliche it is because like the ice starts cracking as they're walking off of it. But then they just run off and it's like, oh, good, they're safe. But no, she falls off the, the ledge or whatever onto the ice and then falls through. And it was just so unnecessary. And like it was obvious that they were trying to set up the moment of, oh, he has to give her mouth to mouth, right? So like they have to, this is where they have to come into contact with each other. And even though, you know, they're, they're not supposed to because of their, their disease. And I just didn't buy it because there was already the dramatic tension there, right? Like they've already introduced the element of her having to get her lungs, but, oh, they can't really, you know, they're stuck out here. They can't, nobody knows where they are. Like that's, there's genuine dramatic tension that comes from that. And it just didn't feel like the added oh, she's fallen through the lake and and now he has to give her mouth to mouth. And so maybe he's giving her the bacteria. Like it, it was just, and it, it was very messy. And I think that, again, it just goes to the general trend of the movie of taking me out of the, the moment at times where I thought I was finally about to get in on the movie. Yeah, and you know, it's. I think this scene is one of the biggest, I mean, like the pool scene is awful. I don't think there's any redeeming qualities to it, but- for me, this scene is the one that I almost find most frustrating because this is like an actually well-designed scene in the sense of the suspense you're talking about. We've gone this entire movie and the biggest thing that we know about Haley Lee Richardson's character is that she cares so much about her treatment. She, they actually, I think even though it's kind of a cliche line, I thought it actually really struck home and it was in the trailer. So I knew it was coming, but it's like for so long I've been doing, I've been living to do my treatments where I should have been doing treatments so I can live. And I think that's such a great way to put it because, you know, you have all these things that happen in the movie and and just to, again, set it up here, full spoilers. So th- this is a big spoiler in the movie. Like after Poe dies, uh, that happens and, and this kind of realization on her part happens and this rebellious phase happens. I think you have this scene set up so well because she knows that she has these lungs back at the hospital, but she doesn't want them anymore. She like, mm-hmm. even though she like this, she would have like murdered someone 10 minutes before this in the movie for passing up on lungs because it's like literally what you're living for. You then have this moment where, you know what, screw it, I don't care, life is short, I'm going to enjoy it kind of thing, which is a wild turn of events, but believable in my opinion. Like I, I really believe it, and it's set up so well. And two things, Scott, this scene is so freaking long. Like, this scene is so long. Yeah. They're dancing on the ice for several minutes. They get off the ice, and then they sit on the bridge. They're and just they chilling there. The bridge. And even her rescuing her is so long in, this, in the water. Yeah. And... He has to give her mouth to mouth like four times or whatever before it final finally works. Like, ugh. yeah. And I'm just like, okay. So and so first the scene is long, and second, I honestly really think it's unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> like I know, I know, because it's like if you're gonna do that, and then like five minutes later, be like, she doesn't have the bacteria. It's amazing. Like, yeah, it's, it's such <laughs> it's a, a bad way to set that up. It's so bad. Yeah, and I mean, again, like it's obvious that the only reason that they're doing it is. So that they can get the moment, right? Because they don't get to kiss in this movie because of their disease or whatever. But like, you just have to satisfy that moment, right? Like, what would it would not be a romantic drama if the main characters don't kiss? So we got to give them this like sort of moment where their lips touch. Like, it it was very forced and bad. 
Yeah, I mean, it was crazy to me. And, and, you know, that all that being said, I guess to wrap things up, I think that the very last scene still still did get me. I'll admit I had a few tears shed in the final scene where where he like does that puts all the Christmas lights up outside her window. And then, you know, even though it's super yeah. cheesy, even though it's super cheesy when he walks away, when she was when I wasn't crying in that part, but when she's like leafing through the sketchbook that she leaves. Yeah, okay, drawings, that, like, yeah, that got me. That was that was pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I went into the movie. I was like, okay, you know, and this is how I go into these types of movies. I'm like, if the if the movie earns, you know, we always talk about it, but if the movie earns it, then I'll, you know, I'll shed a few tears. This movie didn't earn it for me just because of the way that, uh, you know, I felt like I was being manipulated a little bit. But you know, definitely, you're not alone in you know shedding a few you tears. Know, and I'm not embarrassed to cry in movies, but I, I have to say, I yeah. was not audibly sobbing. It, it didn't get me like that. Yeah, well, this one girl was was wheezing. <laughs> to your point, I also don't think it earned it. And I think that the the emotional chords that it hits with the sketchbook and her and her leafing through it are are manipulative and speak to that manipulative portion of the movie. Yeah. All right. Favorite scene. I think that I'm going to go with a scene that happened. You know, you have mentioned the YouTube videos that she makes. I think there's one in particular where she kind of just decides you know, it's fairly early in the movie, I guess. She kind of decides that she's going to live, you know, live the way that she wants to instead of letting the disease dictate her life. And she has this really nice speech and says something like, CF has taken so much from me, but I'm going to take this one thing from it or whatever. Kind of, you know, talking about her relationship with Will. But I thought it, it really worked and it was it was one of the more well-written moments in the script. Um, just the whole, you know, monologue that she has here. And of course, very well performed by Haley Lou Richardson. I really loved the the dinner, the surprise birthday yeah. party dinner scene where you have all all the friends. And I don't know, like what <laughs> this is such a minor thing, and I'm like half laughing at it, half complaining about it here. But like the the one of Haley Richardson's friend when he like when she like sees Cole is like gives him the look, and he's just she's just like oh he's hot. I and like gives him a look as if like oh man I wish I could have that. And I was just like holy crap, because this is also the same girl who was like excited that some some person had broken up with his girlfriend yeah. and was meeting them at the airport when they were like going on the spring break vacation or I guess it was like Christmas vacation because it was around Christmas time. But I was just like geez, this is like a weird thing, a weird way to like portray this this like random friend that she has. Mm-hmm. Also, but that, that wasn't my favorite part. But the, I think the actual scene itself with the the surprise and then also you get this really touching final moment with Poe in the kitchen because I mean we don't know it's a final moment at the time, but it's one of the last moments we get with him before he does die on screen. This is random, but I agree that was a nice scene. But also, didn't it seem like they definitely came within less than five feet of each other several times? I mean, I, I there was a point in this movie where I gave up. It, it's just the kind of hook that they used, I guess. And 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 if I had to complain about one thing about the CF component of the movie that I think that they probably were a little bit loose with, and and maybe I, I haven't read that many reactions to this movie online. I don't know if people in the CF community have taken exception to this, but I really think this movie just should have been called six feet apart. Yeah. And then, yeah. And they are really loose with like how close they get at this party. Although they aren't like sitting next to each other. They aren't like next to each other in the photo. They still managed to stay a few feet away, but probably not five or six. And I think that's another thing about that ending on the ice. Like he gives her mouth to mouth and like, like you said, it turns out fine, but like that should not be the takeaway from this movie, right? Like people with CF do not need to do that. And so I think it's a little bit reckless with that. But I think the movie is is clear about, you know, 
these are the, the limitations that people with CAF have to live with. So it didn't bother me too much. But I think that is an added criticism you could have of that ice scene. All right, Scott, let's post score on it. Yeah, I'm going to go with a 6.4, probably a little bit higher than... Oh, wow. I was not expecting that high. Probably a little bit higher than the movie deserves. But again, I think that because of how important of a movie it is in terms of portraying this disease, I'm going to go on a little bit on the higher side just so people will go see the movie because I think, you know, it is worth seeing. Man, now I'm going to feel like a dick. (laughs) I'm going way lower than that. Uh, 4.6 for me. Wow, okay. Harsh. I mean, this isn't this isn't a good movie, Scott. I I think people should go see it, but it isn't a good movie. It, yes, but it, it, I mean, you know, it's interesting to think about, like in respect to Captain Marvel, which okay, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, well, I gave this a higher rating, but like, you know, you have a movie that with Captain Marvel for me that didn't work until the last thirty minutes, and then you have a movie like this, which yes, there are parts of it which don't work, but there are also a lot of parts which work throughout the movie, right? So like, which one do you really say is the better movie? I mean, like this is just obviously from my perspective. And so even though I I, I do think Captain Marvel is a better movie than this, even though those last 30 minutes of Captain Marvel are really good, like at a certain point, do you have to say, well, it's only 30 minutes of a two hour movie and look at something like this, which where there's maybe like an hour or more of good content. I I don't know. It's just interesting to think about. And I guess maybe that's where I, why I come out a little bit higher as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think with this, the, I think with this movie compared to Captain Marvel, I think there are some things that Captain Marvel doesn't nail. Like I'll, I will admit that. I think that I'm more generally more positive on the movie than you are, and I think that you know our listeners who listened to the podcast last week, I think will see that. And especially when it comes to some of the the more middling parts, sort of in the second act of that movie, mm-hmm. and and then obviously some parts were kind of unintelligible in the first act in terms of a storytelling perspective. But to to me, I think that there are so many parts of this movie that actively are bad, whereas I don't know if anything in Captain Marvel is like actively bad from my perspective. That's and fair. yeah, I think there are a lot of negative components. It's like tough because I mean, I said this in my letterbox review, but I like this movie would be a bomb if not for like if not for the acting of Haley Richardson and CF. Like if you if you if you like decrease Haley Richardson's performance a little bit and like make this a generic rom-drum instead of a cystic fibrosis rom-drum. Like th- this movie is like sub like around a one for me probably. Well, yeah, but like, it's that it's that bad. Those are two big things. Like those are two very important things to the movie. Like one of the lead performances and and you know this central plot thread of like that they have cystic fibrosis. So yeah, of course, if you take those out, they're gonna it's gonna be a lot worse. But if you put them in like that, I feel like that elevates it a lot. Those aren't just artificial things that are like enhancing your enjoyment of the movie. Sure. Like those are major parts of the movie. But yeah, and it, ele- it elevated it like three and a half points. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I like, I, look, I'm, I'm going to sit here and say, I think that you should go see this movie. I just like, I don't feel like I can give it a good, I'm not going to like artificially inflate the score because I think people should go see it. That's fair. You just and, and I'm not saying that's what you're doing. And, and I'm not saying that's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. 4.6. Oh, that understandable. Again, like if I was rating the quality of the movie, it, it would be lower, but I, I'm throwing it. I, I am artificially inflating it somewhat just so that I hope people will go and see it. Fair enough. Well, Hopefully people will go see it. And I, and I do think that I really do think that people should go see this movie. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not joking about that. Awesome. All right. That'll do it for our discussion of five feet apart. Let's take a short break. And when we return, we'll be discussing uh, this past week's news and a little, have a little trailer talk. Cause we had quite a few trailers released this week. We'll be right back.
Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, before we dive into the big trailers that came out this past week, we have a few news items to talk about. And the first is is a story that we've talked about several times on the podcast already in, in its rumor form and also once it was confirmed. But we have a few more details on the A Quiet Place sequel. And it looks like it's going to be a traditional sequel. Emily Blunt, Noah Jupe, and Millicent Simmons are all going to be returning for this sequel. Yeah, which is interesting because we've talked about before on the show, and I think a lot of people have talked about how they thought, oh, if they're going to do a sequel, it needs to be in like a different universe, like, or, you know, a different, we need to follow a different set of characters who are living in the same universe because, you know, I think they, they do a pretty good job tying up the story of, uh, you know, this family in the first movie. And so I, I don't know really how to feel about this. Because, you know, because they did such a good job in the first movie. But, you know, because the first movie was good, I have some faith in, in John Krasinski. I mean, he is back on board, obviously. So we'll see. Yeah. As long as they don't beat you over the head with I love you in the next movie, I think I'll, I think I'm probably going to be fine with it. I mean, I love Emily Blunt. Can't can't wait to see what she's doing next. And it sounds like A Quiet Place 2 won't be too far off in the future. Probably, you know, only a, a year and a half, two years out. Yeah. All right. There are rumors that there might be a Bohemian Rhapsody sequel in the work, Scott. You know, I've heard that this is not <sighs> I've heard that this is not true. I've heard this is like someone saying something or, and like extrapolating from something else. And then when at like when the actual relevant people were asked, they said, no, this isn't happening. Uh, but, you know, it is a rumor that that's swirling out there. I'm hoping that the kind of follow up to this initial story is that, OK, good, this isn't happening. But I want to get your thoughts on it, too. Obviously, I'm very strongly against this. But nowadays, like, you know, if a movie makes money, it gets a sequel. Like, and Bohemian Rhapsody made a lot of money. And despite our qualms with it, despite many critics' qualms with it, it was well-liked by a lot of people. So, you know, even though there's a question mark of, well, where do they go from here? Like, I, it would not surprise me to see this sequel. And I just hope that there's a bigger release that comes out that week so we don't have to review it. Well, you know, even if it did come out, I think that Remy Malik is going to be busy for a while. I mean, surely, right? So, yeah. I mean, it would be way off because, you know, he's rumored, if not confirmed at this point, to be the the villain in the next Bond movie. And I'd imagine that that movie is releasing before a Bohemian Rhapsody sequel would release. Yeah. So and, and I think the next Bond movies for next year or 2021, I can't even remember when it is. Maybe maybe holiday next year. I'm not sure. Maybe. I, I don't know either. Right. So that would just put I mean, then you, that means Bohemian Rhapsody is at least two years out, if not if not more than that, or at least a, a sequel would be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll never have to talk about it. Not because, <laughs> and not because it came out and there was some bigger release that week, but because it didn't come out. So we can we can hope. All right. Scott, yep. You know, this is all, I mean, this is a this is a piece of movie news, but we know her from a TV series. And that's Elizabeth Lale from Lifetime slash Netflix's You set to lead a horror flick called Countdown. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm in for it. Like, I think she does a great job on you. And, you know, I guess not to spoil it all, I think most people have watched it now. But, uh, I mean, I guess this will kind of spoil it. But she probably <laughs> has some availability in her schedule now. Um, and so I think, you know, yeah, let's get her on board for a few more projects, see what else she can do outside the context of that show. I mean, and obviously big horror fan, so I'm in for it. Yeah, I mean, given the direction that that series went by the end of it, 
I think that uh, I think that it's not surprising to see her, that she's in talks to lead a horror movie because in some ways there are definitely some horror elements to you. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, got to give a shout out to her because we actually have the same birthday. So it's going to be our birthday soon in a week. Fair enough. That's true. It is. I uh, I got to get you a present, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. Don't, <laughs> I didn't even expect that. I didn't mean it for like that. <laughs> you don't have to. It's OK. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but I, I'm here for it, too. I'm not the biggest horror guy, but. I liked what Elizabeth Lale did with her role in, in you, and I'd love to see what she can do on, on the big screen. Awesome. Last piece of news before we transition to trailers, and it's Disney-related, just like some of our, I should say most of our trailer talk will be, and that's James Gunn in a surprising reversal of events has been reinstated as the director for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, easily the biggest piece of news that came out this week. Some so Apparently some people were like, yeah, the, I saw this coming a mile away, but I am really surprised yeah. that Disney you know, did an about face on the, you know, Bob Iger did an about face. I mean, ultimately this shows that they're about making money, which will surprise no one. I mean, these companies have a responsibility to their shareholders to make money. And even if they didn't, they probably still would want to make money, but I am surprised Scott. And I'm, I'm especially surprised given that he had been signed on to direct the suicide squad. So I wonder what that might mean for that and, and what will happen because I'm not saying that it's a dog that's that dog eat dog of a world out there because I think both these movies can still make money and it's not unless they release in the same time period, they're not really competing with each other. But I am surprised that or you know, you have a director in this, you know, in, in the MCU and the DCU and directing films here, but want to get your thoughts too. Well, I mean, and that's the thing to me. It's like not only is he not being reprimanded for his comments, he's actually sort of like gotten a promotion, right? Because now instead of doing one big budget movie. Suicide Squad, he's going to be doing two. And, you know, my problem is not so much with, uh, you know, what he said. Obviously, I mean, like, obviously I have a problem with what he said, but, you know, everyone kind of has dismissed it as as jokes. As with much of what goes on in politics nowadays, it's more about who said it. It's more about who said it rather than what was said. And I think that the fact that we had a, like, MAGA supporter who by all all accounts was a despicable person was the one who exposed these tweets, I think caused people to perhaps be more amenable to this and like really come out in defense of, of James Gunn, even though like the tweets are, are kind of indefensible, whether they're jokes or not. I think like that probably played a lot into it. Whereas you look at something like the Kevin Hart situation where you don't have this added element of, Oh, that, you know, this was exposed by someone who, you know, was, was a Trump supporter uh, or was on this, you know a certain side of the political spectrum, uh, and nobody was really coming out in support of Kevin Hart. Even though you know we had sort of the same situation where you have these tweets that are obviously offensive to people, uh, but are they're presented as jokes? So it's it's really just interesting to look at the two things in comparison to each other, um, especially when you talk about you know how how polarized we are today, and then the increased emphasis on identity politics. I think that like the I'm I'm perhaps not as thrilled to see James Gunn again receive basically a promotion for this, but you know the ship has sailed now, and I'm sure that both these movies will be fine. Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting situation because if not for the cast of Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't think that James Gunn gets brought back. Mm. It was kind of the combined threat of all right, DC hired him, and also every single member of our guardians of the galaxy cast want him back kind of, I think forces the hand, I think in an alternate world where you don't have, you know, Chris, Chris Pratt and 
Dave Bautista and I don't I mean I don't know how much Bradley Cooper was involved with this, but you know, particularly those two leading the charge on this in a world where you don't have those two people like just slamming Disney repeatedly for firing him, I think is is a is a world where you probably don't get him reinstated. I mean, we'll never know that, right? I mean, there's no there's no way we'll ever be able to prove that. But I do think that and I wonder how that changes the dynamic of what you're saying. I think I mean ultimately, and here's sort of my thesis is I think it's a good thing that we are giving James Gunn the job back and say like the message that they're sending is good that, oh, OK, we believe people can change. We believe he's more than these tweets he sent, you know, all these years ago. I just would like for more consistent messaging going forward and for us to not put so much emphasis on perhaps other factors that went into the way that these statements were brought to light. Yeah, that, I mean, that's probably very, that that's very fair. Because whether it was a MAGA supporter or not, that doesn't matter. Like when you're looking at the actual statements. Sure. I mean, I definitely I definitely agree with that. And I, I, would, I would hope that people were, would be on board with that statement. But who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Not nowadays. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, Scott, transition a little bit. Still news of a, of a form, but we're going to focus on trailers for the last part here. First trailer, you know, this movie directed by Olivia Wilde called Booksmart. It debuted last last weekend at South by Southwest. And it's gotten really great reviews. And, and this Red Band trailer dropped for it this week. This movie's called Booksmart. It has some recognizable faces. Uh, one, one of course, I think, is it Beanie? I can't remember her last Beanie name. Beanie Feldstein, yeah. Beanie Feldstein from Lady Bird, who, who had a supporting role in that movie. And yeah, th- what did you think of this, of this Red Band trailer for Booksmart? Scott, this movie looks great. I am so excited for this movie. It looks like it has a strong potential to be this year's, like, eighth grade. You know, with the festival reviews it's getting, with just... The way the trailers, you know, because that was a movie that where the the first trailer, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm so on board with this. And I'm kind of the same way with this movie. Um, I think, you know, as you mentioned, you got Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever, who is someone that I've really enjoyed in uh, a lot of stuff, whether it was, you know, she was on Justified back in the day. She was in Short Term 12, a movie that I've talked about how much I love before. And another movie called Laggies, which is a very underrated A24 comedy with Kira Knightley. She's been great in all of this stuff, and, and she's starring here alongside Beanie Feldstein. You also have Lisa Kudrow in here as the mom, always great at playing a mom. See Band Slam, for example. And I think that, again, this is, you know, right up my alley, obviously, being a coming-of-age movie. But I think, like like Eighth Grade, it looks like it. this could be something that has the potential to cross over to people, you know, to just general lovers of film. Uh, and I hope that, you know, it lives up to the reviews that it's getting. I wonder if they'll have the sincerity of an eighth grade. I don't know. I didn't get the eighth grade vibes from that, from seeing this trailer. Yeah, that's not to denigrate the movie. I think I I got more of a vibe of uh, Lady Bird, to be really honest, than more, more so than anything, although more of probably more of a comedic aspect. But because of Beanie Feldstein, I just immediately thought of of Lady Bird. But yeah, Olivia Wilde directing her directorial debut. I think this could be really interesting. Obviously, Olivia Wilde known much better for her acting roles than her directorial because she hasn't done it before. And then you also have, of course, her husband, Jason Sudeikis, in this movie. So he, he had a couple funny mm-hmm. scenes in the trailer. Yeah, no, there's definitely going to be more of a straight up comedy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's it's going to be something to watch out for, for sure. Yeah, the weird comparisons that I've heard from about to Superbad are just seem a little bit off from what I got in the trailer, but who knows? Yeah, hopefully it doesn't go quite as raunchy as that. And but Seth, we'll Seth Rogen's not involved, so I don't think it will. Thank goodness for that. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Seth Rogen, we're not going to talk about this 
but I, I cannot a long shot long or shot. whatever that movie is. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. I, I, I was making the comment to you the other night that it was funny. It's funny at AMC theaters, how at the end of the trailers they go. Uh, and if you, you know, are looking forward to those movies, uh, sign up for AMC stubs. And I'm sitting there with my AMC stubs membership that of course we both have. And I'm thinking none of these movies look good because a lot of the trailers that they have continuously shown are not good. And the long shot is one of them. And, the Hustle, that Rebel Wilson and Anna Hathaway movie is another one. Although I have to say, I think I just don't understand what people find funny anymore because when that trailer played before Captain Marvel, people were howling in the theater. Howling. Was it when he shot the, when she shot the guy, when Rebel, yeah. Rebel Wilson shot the butler? I mean, multiple times, but yeah, that part in particular. Yeah, I don't plan on seeing that movie. Sorry for those of you who are interested in that movie <laughs> for the podcast. Yeah. All right, Scott, why don't we switch gears to Disney? Big, big Disney day, a big Disney week, I should say, for for movies. And because we first get, you know, we've had these teases for Aladdin. We've had that teaser with the genie being blue. Uh, Poor Will Smith. Uh, (laughs) But we got a full length trailer for Aladdin this past week. And Scott, I know you were you just watched this before we recorded and your reaction was a bit of an about face. Yeah, I mean, okay, this is, I'm, I guess this is going to k- kind of be a broken record on these trailers, but this movie also looks great. Um, and that is much more of a surprise than it was for Booksmart because, you know, of what you said, the teasers and the reveal of what Will Smith was going to look like as the genie um, made me roll my eyes very uh, far into my head. And But I think this this trailer has righted all the wrongs. Like, this, it looks like a fun romp. It looks like the, I mean, the, the whole look of the movie feels right for Aladdin. Like the actor, the main actors who play Aladdin and Jasmine look right. Uh, I mean, Will Smith, yeah, he looks goofy as the the blue guy. But when he's outside of that disguise, when, when we, you know, we see him in, you know, dressed at, like the other characters, he looks fine. Uh, and like the tone of the movie seems like it's going to be right. Um, in terms of, you know, it's going to be more of an adventure and but also like the the tone that they're taking with the genie feels right for Will Smith in the character. Like I, they're not trying to knock off what Robin Williams did, because I don't think you could ever knock off what he did. So, so, so I mean, yeah, like, I you know, I'm skeptical about a lot of these Disney live action remakes about whether they're really necessary or not. But I think this could be a really good movie from uh, the way that the impression that I get from this trailer. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was the inclusion of a, of a couple musical segments in this trailer. You mm-hmm. have Friend Like Me and Whole New World and Whole New World. And I think both those things really have made people more optimistic about this movie because neither. Of course, I mean, teasers 30 seconds long. They're not very long. You don't get those musical riffs in either of those teasers. And then you're right. There's less of Will Smith being blue in this trailer and more uh, of those elements. I think this movie is ultimately going to live and die about whether or not people are interested enough to go listen to the music. Or people are on board enough to go see Will Smith because, you know, even though Aladdin and Jasmine look right, Aladdin and Jasmine are not going to get people into the theater. And so I'm still worried about this movie. It looks better, but I wonder if the damage it's already done to itself with the first couple teasers is, is almost too much to overcome. But this trailer is certainly a step in the right direction. I agree. And hey, you know, if this one flops, Disney has another one right around the corner. (laughs) Yeah. And Toy Story 4. So and The Lion King. And The Lion King. That's right. I Every movie that's coming out this year is, is Disney. So, <laughs> Yeah. Frozen 2 and, and holiday season. So. Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. And this last one we're going to talk about right now. Uh, Avengers Endgame. We got a second full length trailer, Scott. And I don't know whether they've 
whether they've managed to remain in the first 15 minutes of the movie, I think maybe one or two shots in particular, probably taking place a little bit later than the 15 minute mark Mm -hmm. in this film. But you know what? They're still using, they're still keeping it pretty ambiguous. What's going to happen. We haven't seen a single shot of anyone who died in the snap. And even though we know those characters are going to come back at some point in the movie, somehow, so at least some of them will, uh, we, we don't know how that's going to happen. And I love the approach that, that Marvel and Disney are taking with releasing the trailers for this. Well, you know, for a large part of the first half of this trailer, you, you get archival footage from other movies, and I just really dug it. Yeah, it's fantastic. You know, once again, another very encouraging trailer. I mean, we were already both on board for this, but I think this just makes me even more excited. Like you said, the, the nostalgia, particularly with the Iron Man and Captain America characters, makes me wonder if, uh, if something is going to happen to them in this movie. And, but also, you know, love seeing Captain Marvel introduced, uh, love seeing the really cool shots of them in like the white spacesuits, like all walking around the, the hangar or whatever. It's the quantum realm suits. It's not going to be space. Oh, OK. Well, see, uh, you know, this is where your Marvel knowledge greatly trumps mine. But also, you know, hearing the music, of course, that they pick, as always, they pick a, a great moment for the music to like crescendo. Uh, and I think the whole thing looks like it's going to be epic, which is good because it's going to be three hours long, which is something else we also learned this week, I believe. You talked about that on, on like getting you've seen that on Twitter and that has just not been picked up by news outlets. I just it, mm. if that is true. I like and as actually confirmed, I would have thought that a lot of news outlets would have picked up on it. But I still haven't seen any news. Well, I don't know. It was a screenshot that I saw if somebody had taken it on a. It was a screenshot of the movie page on a website. I don't know what the website was. It was, but it was like an IMDb-like website, and it had the the runtime of 180 minutes. But regardless, I think mo- that's what most people are are thinking. This is going to be. It's going to be around three hours, and I think to sustain three hours, you're going to need something really epic. Because you know, I, I talk about how movies are too long, but at the same time. I think that for me, the problem isn't always isn't usually with movies that are like three hours, because usually if the movie is three hours, they like have the story to sustain it. And like it's an epic, you know, like Braveheart or Troy or something like that. And so they know what they're doing. Blade Runner 2049. Yeah, still haven't still never made it all the way through it. But my point is, I think you're going to have to have something truly epic to sustain that three hour running time. And the impression that I got from this trailer is this is going to be epic. Oh, for sure. And and I have heard that if it is three hours long, there probably will be an intermission in the middle. So they'll give you a nice, <laughs> a nice break to go. Well, just like the just like yeah. the old days. I am so pumped about this trailer and the little scene at the very end. It's like a post post trailer scene. I don't even know how I'd better describe it. Post title card scene in, in this trailer where you get Captain Marvel and Thor. It gives you gives you gives you the good feels. Yeah, for sure. I think that should just about do it for episode 34 of some like it's Scott. Scott, do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Go Vols. Enjoy March Madness. Yeah. All right. Where can people find you on Twitter? I am at Scarvy Dent. You're going to see a lot of basketball tweets over the next couple of weeks. Over the next couple of weeks. I've already seen them. Well, yes. A lot more basketball tweets because I'm assuming if you're following me, then you weren't following me before. <laughs> Fair enough. I can be found at Shelton2013 over on Twitter. And you can also find our podcast on Twitter at, at Media Plug Pods. And we love it to see if you would give us a follow over there. We love it even more, however, if you checked us out over on Patreon, that's www.patreon.com slash media plug pods. That's our podcast Patreon, and there are a bunch of different reward tiers over there, depending on how much you're willing to pledge to the podcast. And we'd really appreciate it if you could contribute even only at the $1 level. That would be something that would really help us out and and make the show more sustainable. 
And, and again, that's www.patreon.com slash media plug pods where you can check us out for yourself. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, however, that's totally fine. And you can still find us on Apple Podcasts and on Podbean, where we'd also appreciate if you rated and reviewed us as well as subscribed and shared so they continue to reach a broader audience. All right. I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking the time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. Next week, we'll be back with this year's second mega box office release in the form of Jordan Peele's sophomore outing, Us. For now, however, that'll be all from us. For Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.